Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh are mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Badan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go in Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand and towards his left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, displeased him, and he took, he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, son, I know. He also should be a people, and he should become great. Nevertheless, his brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God will make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, this one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be joined not to their company, for in their anger they killed men. In their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel, will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He st stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not part from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, till tribute comes before him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine. And his vesture in the grapes, in the blood of grapes. 
His eyes are darker than, than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships. His border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good. The land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a, beautiful, is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were, were made strong by the hands of the mighty one of, of Jacob. For from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph, on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning a devouring prey, the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to him as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage of Scripture, Lord, I am keenly aware of my inability, Lord, to communicate these things in a, in a way that is clear and powerful into the hearts of your people. Yet, Lord, I am also keenly aware of the power of your Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of your people, in my heart, in the hearts of the saints who are gathered here this morning. And Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work powerfully, that you would work these truths into our hearts, these, with uh, this passage with so many details that, that are obscure, many of them to our minds. I pray, Lord, that you help us to see what you are indeed doing in your people, your people Israel, your people who are gathered here together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we look at, at Genesis chapter 48 and the first part of Genesis 49, where, as I mentioned to the children, we're, we're looking at Jacob's deathbed. We're, we're getting a glimpse of what is happening in the life of, of the man Jacob as he is about to go to his eternal reward. And this passage is, is really, it's a poignant scene. As first Joseph and, and his sons and then the rest of his sons gather together at the patriarch's deathbed. This is a poignant scene in, in a in a narrative that's, that's full of poignant scenes and, and as, as poignant as, as the whole of Genesis is, really, arguably, this, this last section, this Toledot of Jacob, the generations of Jacob, is, is one of the most poignant of all. As we reflect back on the life of Jacob and, and on the ways that, that, that he has experienced profound suffering and, and much of it even directly because of his own sin, but as we've seen, the, the growth in Jacob, as God's hand was clear in his life, and as, as, as God has brought change in the life of Jacob, as God has, God has been faithful to, perf, to fulfill his promises to Jacob, promises that, that, have, been, that have been made to, to Abraham and to Isaac, and then were given to him. Here, as, as he is about to, to leave this life, he is now passing along these blessings that God has promised him 
to his sons. But here in this passage, in, in Genesis 48 and 49, we, we, especially in, in chapter 48, we, we see something that reminds us of an event that earlier took place in Jacob's life. We're reminded of, of back in, in chapter 37. When he, though he had been, been, it had been prophesied that, that he, as the younger, would actually receive the birthright above his elder brother. And that he would receive the blessings, that he would actually be over his elder brother Esau. Remember that, that he sought to obtain the blessing through trickery. First, in, in chapter 36, by, by swindling his brother out of, of his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then in chapter 37, as he, as he deceived his own father, his, his almost blind father Isaac, pretending to be the elder brother Esau, so that he would get the blessing instead. And we saw when we looked at that passage that, that, that God actually honored that, even though, even though Jacob was in, in sin and in, in his deception. That God used even these sins to achieve his sovereign plan for Jacob and, and for Israel. But here in this chapter, we're seeing, again, many parallels. But, but gone is the deception. Gone is the, the grasping. Remember, the name Jacob means, means heel grabber. But he's no longer grasping. His hands are open, blessing his sons. And, and so we've been, we've been blessed as we've tracked through this to see the growth in Jacob. And so here, there, there's some very strong parallels that, that are meant to evoke in us a reminder of, of what's happened before, of the, the events of Jacob's life and of what, what God has done in him and, and how God has been faithful to his promises and that God is, that same God is going to be faithful to fulfill his promises to Jacob's sons. And so even in chapter 37, which is, which is arguably the, the greatest episode of faithlessness in Jacob's life, this chapter 48 and 49 is, is declared in God's word to be, to be the, the, the epitome of faithfulness in Jacob's life. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to, Gen to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. To Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 21. Remember, this is the Hebrews Hall of Faith, declaring what, what, uh, what the, the faithfulness of the people uh, of Israel throughout their history. In verse 21, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. You see that? So, so Jacob is here conferring, bequeathing blessings upon his sons in faith. Because he has not yet received the, the fulfillment of that. The promises are, are really mainly, well, he's received the promise of, of God's presence. And as a mark of God's presence, he's been promised an offspring. He's been promised that his offspring would be a multitude of nations. The same promise that went from, from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob. But, but Abraham and, and, and Isaac didn't see it at all. But, but Jacob is, was beginning to see just the, the seeds of the fulfillment of that. As he left Canaan, as he left the promised land to go to Egypt with 70 people. Now not, that's not quite yet a, a multitude of nations, but it's a big family. So he, he saw the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promises. But remember, as he's, as he's declaring this, the, the second half of the promise comes to mind, doesn't it? The, the promise of the land. So, so here, Jacob is promising the land that has been promised to him by God, even though he doesn't yet possess the land. He's, he's giving this promise even though he's outside the land. And God, if you remember, in chapter 47, had promised to Abraham, or to, in chapter 46, rather, that God had, had promised Jacob that, that he would be with him in going down into Egypt and be with him coming back up out of Egypt. But Jacob is going to leave Egypt in a coffin. But that does not mean that God is not with him. Here again, we see the, um, the, the part of the, the corporate nature 
of Israel, that they had a, a solidarity. They didn't understand their, their lives on the basis of themselves alone, but they understood it on the basis of their corporate identity and not as individuals but as the nation. This is very different from what we understand in our culture where we tend to be a very individualistic culture. But again, Hebrew culture, especially in that era, was, was very, very different. And so God is indeed with Jacob as he has been all along. And even as he dies, God is faithful to Jacob. This is very contrary to the, the so-called prosperity gospel, isn't it? This is a, a sign of God being with you. means that you're going to be healthy and you're going to be wealthy. But, but here, as we start this, this chapter, Jacob is, is ill. He's on his deathbed. And by the time we get to, to the end of chapter 49, Jacob dies. And all these prosperity preachers, they're also going to die one day themselves. And, and many of them will... I believe, go to a Christless eternity because of their deceiving of the people, their failure to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here in this chapter, we see God's faithfulness to Jacob, and we see that, that Jacob has faith that God will be faithful to his future progeny because of God's promises to him, promises that he has not even yet received fully himself. So here in the beginning of, of chapter 48, Joseph is told, your father is ill. So Joseph takes his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and brings them to Jacob. Now notice here that, that the order of their names, Manasseh and Ephraim, not Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh is indeed the older, and, and according to the, 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 the custom, that the firstborn is, is listed first. But this is the last time here in this passage that you see Manasseh lifted first. So it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has, has come to you. And notice now the shift in, in, in name it in, in chapter in the second half of verse 2. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And you see in this chapter, as we saw even last week, an inter interchange between the names Jacob and Israel, back and forth, Jacob and Israel. And, and so when it, with the name Jacob, remember who the name means, means heel grabber. And that really brings to mind the, the individual, the man Jacob, and the experiences of his life, and, and the, the ups and the downs, and the, the progression of his life. But when we see the name Israel, which means he strives with God, remember that was given to Jacob when he wrestled with God, that this, this evokes to, in our minds the, the, the nation of Israel, and the implications that of, of what is taking place, not just for the individual Jacob, but, but for the, the sons of Israel, and for the future generations of Israel. And so as, as Jacob now speaks to Joseph, he says, he says, looking backward, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and, and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Now Luz, if you remember, is, is Bethel. The house of, of God that, that we saw in, in chapter 28 where, where we, we see Jacob's ladder and God ap appeared to Jacob and, and promised him his presence and again promised him a multitude of, of offspring and promised him the land and it's added here for an everlasting possession. So in this, in this passage, as we'll see, Jacob's eyesight is failing but his memory isn't. He can remember very clearly God's blessings and his life. And so as we see so often, this, this bequeathing of blessings is grounded in, in what's happened before. And, and as, as is always the case, it's grounded in, in, in God's blessings upon the individual. That, that Israel is able to bless the future generations because of God's blessings on him. Now, I need to remark briefly on, on this term blessing, which is most often when we see this word in Scripture, in, in Hebrew, it's the word is barak, and it and most often refers to blessing in the, the positive connotation. 
But there's also many times in Scripture when, when the word blessing actually also means cursing. You, you see that especially in the, in the book of Job. It's, a, it's the same word, but, but in the, the, the range of meaning, it, it has a, a fuller sense. And so when we understand the, the blessings here, we need to understand this in the, in the fullest sense of the word. And so, so what this really is, is these, these are oracles or, or prophecies that, that, um, that, that, that Jacob is making for his sons. Okay, these, these are a declaration of, of what God is going to do. So we're going to see that, that a number of them aren't positive at all. They're actually, they're actually probably better described as, as curses than blessings. But so now, as, as he has remembered the past, he now begins to look forward. And he, so in, in uh, verses uh, 5 and 6, he now talks about the, the two sons. Okay, and and notice, the, notice the names that he uses in verse 5. He, he's here, he says, Ephraim and Manasseh are mine. So again, remember the order. It's changed from what we saw earlier. It's not, it's not Manasseh and Ephraim, it's Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, that's going to become, the reason for that will be, become clear in a moment. But what he's doing here is he's adopting the boys. He, he's adopting the, the sons of Joseph declaring them to be his every bit as much as Reuben and Simeon are his. Now, Reuben and Simeon and Levi as well are going to be the subject of, of some of the, the cursings that are going to come down on the, the sons. But, but here he's, he's adopting them. He's saying that they are my own. And so the blessings that I'm going to give to them are, are the blessings not of grandsons, but of sons. And this, this is also a, a blessing upon Joseph as their father. So again, he says in verse 6, And the children that you fathered after them will be yours, and they will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So they have an equal blessing with the other brothers. But then in verse 7, he looks back again, and, and he remembers a, a very sad moment in his life. And I, I imagine as, for many people, as, as they're, they're approaching death, they, their memories go back over the, the, the highlight events of their lives. And and, and again, Jacob has had very, very positive memories, but also some, some really horrible ones. And, and, so, and one that really stands out to him is, is the death of, of his beloved Rachel. And she died giving birth to his youngest son, Benjamin. And so here we see that this is, again, the humanity uh, the, his humanity, as, as, he, as he is thinking about his sons, he's thinking about the death of his wife, who was, was buried um, in Bethlehem, not in the Machpelah cave with, with the, the other um, patriarchs and their wives. But now in verse 8, as, as notice the name Israel, as Israel sees Joseph's sons, he asks, who are these? Now, does that sound familiar to you? It should, because Isaac had said something very similar to Jacob back in Genesis 37. When, when Jacob appeared before Isaac dressed as Esau with, with goat skins on his, on his neck and on his arms and with, with Esau's clothes on his back, Isaac said to Jacob, Who are you, my son? And of course, Jacob lied and said, I am Esau. But then remember, shortly thereafter, when Esau comes in, Isaac asks the question again, Who are you, my son? And, and again, we hear the words, I am Esau, your son. And remember that Isaac trembled very violently when he realized that, that he had been duped by Jacob, the deceiver. So these, these events are meant to evoke then an earlier event. And so we see that the, the change, the shift in his life. And and, and Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. And so now Jacob asks him to bring them to him. Or Israel, rather, asks him to bring them to him. And the eyes of, of Israel, we're told, are dim with age so that, that he couldn't see. He's, he's losing his vision. He's going blind. Now these, these, these are actually young men. That Ephraim and Manasseh at this time are, are at least 17. They're, they're, they're older teenagers or possibly even in their early 20s. And they're brought before their grandfather, who is now their adopted father. And he, he embraces them. He, he kisses them. And then Joseph, 
Then Israel says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Remember, just in, in the last, in two chapters ago, he, he had met, his, he met his, his son Joseph for the first time in 22 years. He had thought that, that Joseph had been killed by wild animals. And there was that blessed reunion. He never expected to see Joseph again. But now he saw also his grandson. Again, thinking about, about some of the older members of our, of our congregation. And, and maybe you've thought about, about your, the, the last moments of your life. And, and, and the, 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 what a joy it would be even in the sadness of that moment to have your offspring, your, your children, your grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren gathered around. I think it would, be, it would be helpful for all of us to be thinking about this. And, and, and what, will be, what were people going to remember us for in, in these moments, in these precious moments, these last few moments of life? And so Joseph removed the lads from his, his knees and, and bowed himself now with his face to the earth before his, before his father. And so then Joseph took his sons, and placed them in front of Israel with Manasseh on Israel's right and Ephraim on Israel's left so that Israel would be able to, with his right hand, pronounce blessings on the elder Manasseh. And with his left hand, the second blessings on Ephraim. And so he stretched out his right hand and now crossed it over on the head of Ephraim and put his left hand on the head of Manasseh. He was switching up the blessings. Now I hope that sounds familiar too as well because this is, this is like a chapter straight out of, of Jacob's own childhood as, as he, as the younger son, had received the blessing instead of Esau, the older son. And so he declared, he said he blessed Joseph, Joseph being here representative of the, of the two boys, he blessed them and said, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, walk, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, that the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of all the earth. So again, he is looking backwards. He's looking backwards to the promised blessings to his forefathers, to Abraham and to Isaac. And notice he refers to God as his shepherd. Now this passage is, was the inspiration for, for King David when he wrote Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This was a comfort to, to David, this promise that was made to, to, to Israel. And then down through the generations, the promise that went to David, this has been a comfort to the saints Throughout history, and it's, it's a comfort I trust to many of you here, that the Lord is your shepherd, that he will, he will lead you, he will guide you, he'll protect you, he'll provide for you. That's all that's entailed in the idea of God as our shepherd. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, and, and so the, remember that the angel of the Lord is, is, is off, it's the Lord quite often in the, in the scriptures, and, and he has redeemed all the, the horrific and horrible things that have happened in his life. He's, he's begun to see God's hand of, of blessing even through that evil. And now he's looking forwards. He's asking the, the Lord who's been a blessing to him to now bless the boys and to let his name be carried on so that, that through the, this name that was given to Abraham and Isaac of, named after God to be to. to the blessings to go on to, to the boys and to future generations that they might grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Again, as I mentioned earlier, he has seen a, a partial fulfillment of this, but this is yet to be, was yet in his time to be, be fully fulfilled. It was actually in the, the nation of, of Egypt as the, as the children of Israel were exiles out of the promised land. It's, it's there where they began to multiply and to become more and more people. They began to see more of the fulfillment of this promise. When Joseph saw what his father had done and, 
and that, that his, his hands were crossed, that he'd actually put the, the firstborn blessing on Ephraim and the secondborn on Manasseh, he, he physically took his father's hands and his mind fixed them. So he now had the, the right hand on Manasseh and the left hand on, on Ephraim. And he, say, he says to his father, he rebukes his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But Israel responds, I know, my son. I know. This is, this is a conscious act. Not, gone is the, gone, gone is the, is the duplicity, is the, the scheming and the conniving that we saw with, in the earlier Jacob and the, the bequeathing of the, of the blessing from Isaac to him. And, and now, as we see in Hebrews, this is, this is declared to us to be a, a, a son of great faith. So we're seeing that the blessing still goes to the younger as, as part of, of God's sovereign plan. But, but, but here, here Israel is operating in faith. He, he's not doing this out of, out of scheming or, or conniving. And so, yes, the, the younger, yes, Manasseh will become a, a great nation, but, but Ephraim will become a greater nation, we're told in verse 19. And so Israel blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. So what he, he's saying here that, that the blessing on these two boys, the blessing on, on Ephraim and Manasseh are, are going to be proverbial in the land of, of Israel, that they're actually going to be, to be exemplary of what it means to be really blessed by the Lord because the blessing on these young men and their future generations are going to be so great. And then Israel says to Joseph in verse 21, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now, that's what's translated there, mountain slope, sounds a lot like Shechem, which probably sounds, hopefully sounds familiar to you from Genesis chapter 34, where, where, the, where Simeon and Levi incited the brothers to, to go and kill all of the men of Shechem because of the defiling of Dinah. We'll talk more about that in a, in a few moments when we get to Simeon and Levi and the, the blessings. But, but it's, it's, we don't know for sure. There's nowhere in Scripture that we see any direct incident of, of this taking place. But, but the important thing to note here is that God, is, that God through, through Israel is actually blessing Joseph. Again, he's getting an extra blessing beyond the blessing of the brothers. This seems to be another act of, of favoritism from our way of looking at things. But, but again, this is, this is God's plan. This is God's blessing for Joseph. But there's something even more important that we need to see here than this. That Israel is saying to Joseph that God is going to bring you again back to the land just as God had promised Israel that he would bring him back to the land but again Israel goes back in a coffin and Joseph too will go back to Israel back to the promised land back to the nation uh, back to the nation that had been promised in a coffin but not for 400 years but God is still with him God has actually promised to be with him and this is now being transferred to Joseph through Israel so this is a, a promise that Joseph never gets to see the fulfillment of. And so again, we see that, that Israel is making this promise based on faith. He's looking ahead, seeing what, what God is going to do in the future. And so he is now on that basis, on the basis of God's faithfulness, he is going to, to give this promise to his son. Well, then with chapter 49, we continue to see these blessings that, that, that God is, is giving to the, the sons of Israel through the man Jacob. And so we see Jacob calling his sons together and saying, Gather yourselves 
together that I, I may tell you what is going to happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. See again that the, both of those names are, are presented there in the same verse. That Again, the, the, the man Israel and the nation Israel and the implications for both are considered here to, to, to be, they're, they're there for our consideration. Now as we look at, at these, these individuals, we're really going to, to spend the bulk of our time here with on the, the focus on, on Judah and on Joseph. We're going we're gonna to go over all of them relatively quickly, but, but the, the passage itself spends the most time and, and devotes the, the most eloquent metaphors to Judah and to Joseph, which, which really makes sense because of their importance in the nation of Israel. And so in, in these we see, we see God's grace and, and we see God's mercy, but, but we also see in this passage God's justice being poured out as we see it on, on Jacob in, um, in verses, uh, in Jacob verse, sorry, in Reuben in verses three and four, and then in Simeon and Levi in verses five to seven. And so, so he starts here, Israel starts here with Reuben. In verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and, and preeminence in power. And the, the focus here is, is on, on his, his strength, on his authority, but, but with verse 4, it shifts into his accountability for his sin. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And, and you know what happens, that, that he had, had defiled his father's concubine, Bilhah. And this, was, this was, was viewed in that culture as being incestuous. This was, was one of the greatest sins, one of the greatest sexual sins that, that someone could commit for, for Reuben to do and to commit such an atrocity. He, he followed his, he's unstable as water. He, he followed his, his, his impulses, his reckless impulses after his flesh and was cursed because of it. And so he, is, he who starts out with, with honor is brought to shame because of his sin. And, and there, is all kinds, there are all kinds of warnings of, about this type of behavior, well, even, even on a, a much lesser degree in the book of Proverbs. Fathers, I, I encourage you to, to talk to your, your children, especially your sons, again and again about, about the, danger, the dangers of immorality. It's important for, for women as well, but I believe especially for, for young men at any culture, but maybe especially in this particular day. So we see judgment brought down on you, on Reuben. And, and again, this, this is, he is not, even though we've begun to see the ascendance of, of Judah, and we've begun to see Reuben fade into the background, that the future of this is, is not yet fulfilled in the life of Israel. Next, in verses 5 to 7, we have Simeon and Levi. Again, these are brothers. They're, they were Dinah's brothers. And so they incited, they incited the, all the brothers to kill all of the men of Shechem, to, to murder all of the men because of one man's crime. Now there is a major difference between, between justice and vengeance. These men were, were, not, were not doing an act of justice. This was vengeance. This was wholesale slaughter out of the rage. And they even, they even for, for, for no reason at all, except for their wrath, they, they, they crippled oxen. They hamstrung them so that they would be useless. And so these, these are two brothers, but the curse that is going to come on them is that they're going to be divided in Jacob. And so Simeon is going to be an island in the, the middle of Judah, and Levi is going to be scattered as well. But, but even in the, the scattering of, of, of Levi, there's actually God's grace and God's mercy, because how is Levi scattered throughout the nation of Israel? Well, they give him the honor of becoming priests. And so this is God's redemption, that, that even, even someone as wicked as Levi was, his, his offspring is able to be, to be blessed even in the midst of judgment. Well, then it, with, with verses um, eight, to 13, 8 to 12, rather, we, we now focus on Judah. On Judah. 
As I mentioned a moment ago, we've, we've already begun to see the ascendancy of Judah as, as the leader of the brothers. And the, 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 this, this uh, blessing upon him is, is equal, almost equal in length to the blessing upon Joseph. And the, the eloquence and the metaphors that are, that are here are also very, very beautiful and very powerful. But the blessing that is on Judah is immeasurably greater than the one that is on Joseph. He is going to, to have authority over his brothers, but he is going to subjugate his enemies. His brother's sons are going to bow down before him, but he's going to destroy his enemies. He's described here as a, a lion's cub, as, as a lioness going, coming up from the prey. This, of course, points ahead to Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah from Revelation chapter 5. Jesus Christ, through Judah, is the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head from Genesis 3.15 that we've seen again as a line all the way through Genesis from that, that first promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.15 that goes all the way through to the cross. The crushing of the serpent's head by the, by the seed of the woman. It is through Judah that Jesus Christ will come and the, the seed of the woman according to the flesh. And so the scepter, this, this instrument of, of ruling will not depart from him. There's a little bit of a textual variant here, until tribute come to him. Some of the earlier translations say until Shiloh comes to him. It's hard to say exactly what is, what's happening there, but, but, but this, this, either way, this clearly points to, to the return of, of Jesus Christ, to, to the promise that is, is yet to be fulfilled. So, so this, this promise, that, this promise that, that Israel is seeing that, that looks backward at what's happened is looking ahead, but not just to the nation of Israel, but all through the scriptures to, to the coming of Christ and even to the return of Christ. So this blessing that, that Israel sees with the eyes of faith is, is a, a superlative blessing upon Judah. Then we have here um, several uh, briefer accounts and brief, briefer blessings and, until we, we go down to the blessings that are, are given um, to Joseph in, in verse 22 to, verses 22 to 26. But first, Zebulun. Now Zebulun is, is said to be dwell here at the shore of the sea, which is strange because Zebulun was actually landlocked. And for, um, Zebulun is actually named um, prior to Issachar, even though Zebulun is the younger son, says he will become a haven for ships and his border should be at Sidon, well, it actually wasn't. So it's, it's very likely that, that he was, it was a, a trading relationship that, that, was, that was taking place here. But it's hard to say why he's given preeminence, but it's possibly because they're far in the, in the northern part of Israel. And, and when, when there were attacks from the north, they would have been sort of the front lines, at a place of, of preeminence at the, at the northern end and, and of danger, really, at the northern end of Israel. In verses 14 and 15, we have the, the blessing on Issachar. Now, Issachar is, is described as a beast of burden. It says that, that he, he had fertile land. And Issachar indeed did have, did have some of the most fertile land, but, but it seems that they, that they traded their, their following of God. They, they traded, they traded their, uh, their worship of God for their comfort and for their peace. And throughout history, you could see that that Issachar indeed did bow the knee to the, the invading kings and, and were able to, to in a sense, uh, keep some of, their, some of their freedoms. But this is really a temptation that, that, that we also see, don't we? To, to this day, we're, we're tempted to, to, to forsake righteousness, to forsake the Lord for, for our freedom. But we know that in reality, we give up our freedom. When we bow, to any, uh, bow the knee to any but Almighty God. Dan in verses 16 and 17, Dan, we're, we're told, shall judge the people. He starts out really well, he, kind of like Reuben. He starts out on a, on a positive note in verse 16, but in, in verse 17, he's described in a negative light, like a, a serpent in the way, like a viper in the path, and the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider falls backwards. 
Now, if, when you read in the book of Judges, Judges 17, it, it speaks of, of the tribe of Dan being like a, a marauding group that will go through the nation and, and they'll, they'll, they'll raid unsuspecting villages. And they'll even take an idolatrous Levite by force to be their own private priest. So we're beginning to see the fulfillment of, of, of what would happen with the tribe of Dan. But interestingly here, Israel turns in verse 18 and says, I will wait for your salvation, O Lord. So he, he is actually a, a declaration of, of his hope and his confidence in, in the Lord, in the I am. Gad in 19, it says, Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. And so Gad is actually on the, was on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River, and they were, they were surrounded by, by enemies, especially Moab. And so they were constantly raided by these, these, invading, um, these, these invading armies. But they, they themselves became fierce, a fierce army themselves, and that, that they, they would, would in turn attack and, and would, um, would, would wreak havoc amongst those, those surrounding nations. You can read about some of this um, on the, the, Mo the Moabite Stella. It's, it's in the Louvre in Paris. And, I've uh, developed more of an interest in, in, in some, of the, some of these artifacts after visiting the British Museum a couple weeks ago. But, but on, this, on this stella of, of Moab, you can actually, it's from the 9th century, and, and on this there's actually um, a description of, uh, from the, the pagan Moabite king saying that, the, that because of the wickedness of the Moabites, and, and his definition of wickedness would be very different from that of Israel, the, the god Chemosh is pronouncing judgment on them, and so Israel is attacking them because of their wickedness. And so you, uh, I, one day I hope to go to the Louvre and be able to, to see that, but, but, but this is very clear that, um, very clear of, of de demonstration of what's happening there in, in, in chapter 49, 19. And 20, Asher. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Again, they were a very prosperous region, um, a prosperous territory, and they would actually be able, they would give food to kings. And it's, it's thought that perhaps they even gave food to the, the, the Canaanite kings. It's, it's, it's hard to say for sure. Naphtali, verse 21. It's described as a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. And, and so Naphtali was, was in the mountainous region and it said that they were, they were free. They were free to be able to keep their culture uh, as, as their, their, their Jewish culture and, and that they would have beautiful children. That they would, and this is, is speaking of, of that the, they were free to, to have children after them who would also follow in, in the footsteps of, of, their, of their culture, of their heritage. And then in verses 22 to 26, we, we turn to Joseph. And again, this, this is the, the, biggest, um, the biggest section, the biggest blessing here is described in terms of a verbiage for, for Joseph. But as we've seen, Joseph is actually secondary, secondary to Judah. As, as Judah and the tribe of Judah ruled over the south, the tribe of, the tribe of, of Joseph ruled in the north. These were, were people that were actually de declared to be, to be blessed by God, and, and, they, had a, and, a, and a, they continued to have an important role in the life of Israel. We've already seen that powerfully with, with Joseph's life, as, as he, though sent as a slave into Egypt, became the means of deliverance for the nation of Israel. And so you can see that there in, in verse 23, the, the archers bitterly attacked him. The, the archers there are his own brothers. Whereas before the some of the especially with, with Reuben and Simeon and Levi, the, 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 their, their problems come from the fact that, that, that their own internal sins. But here it's actually external. It's, it's coming from outside that the archers bitterly attack them. Yet notice in, in verse 24, yet his bow remained unmoved. So there was archers attacking him from the outside, but he was actually safe on the inside. And why? Not because of his own strength, but because his arms were made agile, were made strong by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there it is again. There is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And so this, this protection, this protection that, that we see 
is going to continue on into the future, that the, the God of your Father will help you, the Almighty will bless you with the very blessings of heaven. And so we, we see in the, the lives that this is fulfilled in, in Ephraim and, and Manasseh, who are actually the, the greatest uh, and most, well, most numerous of the, the tribes of Israel. This blessing that was, was given to, to Joseph was really for them. And then finally, in verse 27, Benjamin. Benjamin is described as a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Now it's strange here that, that we would see this type of, of these type of metaphors to be used to describe Benjamin because to this point in the narrative, as far as we know, Benjamin has, has been simply passive. Benjamin has been the passive recipient of everything that happens. Remember, he's the, the youngest brother by, by a long way. And so he's, he's not, we don't see him really actively doing anything in, in, this, in this narrative. So un unless there's something that, that, that has taken place in his life that we're not told here in Scripture, again, Israel's looking forwards. He's seeing with the eyes of faith something that is going to happen. And something that we will see later on in Scripture as we read in, at the end of Judges how Benjamin is, is described in, in some of the, the most um, villainous terms in all of the Bible. Their sin is, is seen to be a, a, a parallel to that of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there's actually a civil war that where, where the, the rest of the tribes of Israel actually wage war on Benjamin, decimating them. But prior to that, they actually are able to, to fight back and, and kill quite a, quite a number of, of the, the men of Israel as well. As they're described as, as, as being left-handed marksmen, able to, to, to shoot a, a, a sling to, to split a hair. So they were a, a powerful enemy. We also see this in, in King Saul, who is himself a Benjamite, who, who in his career started out well, but, but by the end he's been forsaken by the Lord and he's seeking to kill David, the rightful king. He's, he's going to, he's going to a, a necromancer to, to try to raise up the dead. All of his rebellion to God. So again, we see, we see Benjamin there in a, in a negative light. And, and so in verse 28, we see this, this is the summary. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. So again, you have, you have all 12 of the tribes here listed. The ones that are presented in a positive light, the ones that are presented in a, in a negative light, the ones that, that, that seem to be kind of neutral, that we don't really know much about, either good or bad. But they're all listed here. And notice that, that they are blessed with the blessing that is suitable to him. They are blessed with the blessing that is suitable to them because of their present behavior and also because of their future behavior. So again, we see evidence of the fact that Israel is looking ahead and with the eyes of faith is seeing what God is going to do. He is, he's pronouncing these blessings based on the faithfulness of God. So as we close... We want to consider again that, that these blessings, the, the, the blessings of, of land and the blessings, the blessings of, of a great nation, that even as these 12 tribes experienced, some, many of them to a degree, cursing by God, they're still given land. They still become a great nation. They still become, each of them, very numerous. That, that, that Israel has seen this, has foreseen what God is going to do in the future and made this pronouncement on them. But again, even in these judgments, we're seeing the mercy of God. We're seeing the blessings of God. And Deuteronomy chapter 33 was, was read to us earlier. And, and, and I would encourage you in, in time this afternoon to sit down and read that a little more closely and see that, that, there, there, that many of the blessings that, that we saw here actually, that they're presented in a, these tribes are presented in a more positive light in Deuteronomy. And so, so God's grace is being poured out on these 12 tribes. And as we look ahead to, to the book of Revelation, and we see that, that God is, will remain faithful to his people. You see this in, in Romans chapter 11, that, that God says that he will keep his promises to elect Israel. 
to his people. I believe there is a future for Israel because God is faithful to his promises. That God will be faithful as these, these 12 tribes are listed in Revelation chapter 7. Future events that we still await the fulfillment of. I, I believe there is a, there is a, a, a sense of a, of a future fulfillment for elect Israel because God is faithful to his promises. But as we consider each, each, of, these, each of these men as, as individuals, as we consider Ephraim and Manasseh and, <clears throat> and Reuben and Simeon and Levi and, and Judah, maybe even especially Judah, all the way down, we, as we consider each one of them, we need to consider the, the grace and the mercy of God. Why did God bless Judah? Why did God bless Judah? Why did God choose Judah to be the, 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 the one through whom the Messiah would come? There's, there's no human reason to choose Judah. Remember from, from Genesis uh, chapter 38 and, and what, what, what Judah got up to in Genesis 38. He was, was not the, the model of morality. Remember that, that, he, that he impregnated his daughter-in-law. Yes, he, he, he didn't know who she was, but he thought she was a prostitute. Judah had, had nothing in and of himself to commend himself to God. Why did God choose Judah? Why did God choose to have blessings, to pour out blessings on any of them? Well, friends, for the same reason that God chose to pour his blessings on you and on me. If you're here this morning as a Christian, you are here because God has chosen you. He has elected you to be a recipient of his grace. Not because of any goodness in you. Not because of any good that you had done or any good that you will do. But simply because of his sovereign grace. Now God will give judgments upon people for their sins. But the only hope that any of us have is to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to put our faith in, in the one who was sacrificed for our sins, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the, the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head. He is our hope. He is our only hope. All sin must be punished. Judah's sin must be punished. But Judah's sin was punished through his descendant, according to the flesh, through Jesus Christ. If God does not punish sin, God ceases to be just. But the fact that there is any blessings for anyone, for, for, whether it's for these 12 tribes or for us, it is solely because of God's grace in our lives through Jesus Christ. But if you are here this morning as an unbeliever, someone who is trusting in your righteousness, I say to you on the authority of God's word that you have no righteousness. You have nothing to commend yourself to God. Your only hope is to cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ, to turn away from your sin and to put your faith in him. This is your only hope. Justice is coming. Judgment will come. Turn to the lion of the tribe of Judah and be saved. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for the great grace that you have poured out on us through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you that you put on him the wrath that we deserve. Lord, that he lived the righteous life that no one has ever lived, whether it was the patriarchs or whether it was the people sitting here. Lord, we, we have no hope but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name given under heaven whereby we may be saved. Not, not Buddha, not Allah, 
not Vishnu, not our own names. There was no name but the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we proclaim the saving grace through his name, trusting that you will work in the hearts of your people, creating new life in Christ, creating worship where once there was idolatry, creating obedience where once there was rebellion, creating love where once there was hatred. You do this all through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.